So there we go. Are you all ready? Yes. Good. Hello, and welcome to Philosophy Voiced, a podcast from the Center for Ethics and Studying Human Value, University of Parkinson. In this episode, we brought together some of the Center's PhD students to talk about how they do philosophy and to hear about their views of philosophy here at the Center, and perhaps also more in general. So I would like to, to start by introducing yourself and perhaps tell us a little bit about what you're working about as well. So who would like to start? Why not Mira? I'm Mira Reyes. I'm a graduate of the Ateneo de Manila University, and I'm now here doing a doctorate, and I'm writing a dissertation on Levinas and animal ethics. Thank you. Nice. Uh, Patrick? Uh, yes, my name is Patrick Keenan. I uh, graduated from University of New Orleans, and then I got my master's at University of Tartu in Estonia. And now I'm here doing uh, philosophy of creativity and uh, universal basic income. We have uh, Philip. Hello, everyone. My name is Philip Strammer. I'm from Stuttgart in Germany. And that's where I finished my studies in philosophy and English, um, actually to become an uh, English and philosophy high school teacher. But now I ended up in part of it doing my PhD in philosophy. And I'm currently working, well, my PhD is on uh, moral creativity. And at the moment, I'm looking at love as a uh, force um, of moral and, and, and social transformation, basically. Uh, and we have Aneta. Hi, my name is uh, Aneta Kohoutova. I'm from Czech Republic. Actually, I live near to Pardubice in Hradec Králové. And now I'm starting my second year as a member of the Center for Ethics. And I applied uh, with a project called Ethics of the Public Space. In general, I would like to perceive the city both as a material, but also as a social culture organism through the lens of philosophy in, in broad sense. Mm -hmm. uh, Diana? Hello, my name is Diana Kalashkova, and I did all of my studies in the University of Pardubice, where I had the chance to watch the center emerge and then join it. I work on literature and philosophy, the connection between literature and morality. Nice. Uh, Vladimir? Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Vladimir. I am from Serbia, Niš, the city in which I have acquired my master's degree in philosophy and currently I'm uh, studying at the PhD studies at the Center for Ethics and Studying Human Value and I'm concerned with the topics of meta-ethics, normative ethics and political theory. And David? Hello, my name is David Rosen. Uh, I'm, I'm from Czech Republic. I, I've graduated at uh, Charles University in Prague and uh, I'm very new here in center, uh, so my dissertation is at the very beginning, uh, but my main focus is environmental ethics and also Wittgenstein studies. Mm -hmm. And Irem. Hi, uh, I'm from Istanbul, Turkey. Um, 
I'm very new here in, in the Czech Republic and in the program. I got my BA degree in English language and literature and my MA in philosophy. Mm-hmm. And right now I'm working on an, an ecology, uh, ecological ontology uh, through contemporary French philosophy. Good. Um, one thing I think that one cannot help noticing is that you all constitute a rather broad group, both geographically, as it were, as well as in research interests. And I think we might start by discussing that. I mean, what does it matter that you all have rather varied cultural backgrounds? How does that affect the work you do here? And how does these differences feed into the matter of philosophy? Uh, I'm thinking, of course, of how you how it affects your work here at the center, but feel free to move beyond this immediate horizon too, if you want to. So what do you think about coming from so various, so many different places and working in so many different areas? Okay, so I guess when you say marginalized, and I come from the Philippines, globally, the Philippines is considered a poor country. And in that sense, we're marginalized in many ways. So when I came here, what I had in mind were two things. One is that I had to do very good because I have to give an impression on the international plane, at least to some some people in a a nook of an academic culture that the Philippines matters and that Filipinos think and that there are Filipino philosophers. Because when you say Asian philosophy, it's it's largely, you know, that the impression is that Asian philosophy is all religious, something like that. And it has something to do with metaphysics. And you know, I, I, I want to contribute in the sense that, uh, you know, that is, that is something dynamic that is going on, that we're not stuck in the, in the religious sense, something like that. But I am not also sure about, you know, when, when we see the term Filipino philosophy, what exactly does that mean? And I think that is something I have to find out here also. In, in an international, you know, in an international plane that what does it mean to be somebody like me here being faced with cultures that are so different in thinking and so different in many ethical stands. So I hope to, to be able to enrich myself and that hopefully that when, when I come back to my country, I may be able to bring out something different. Okay, so that's at least what I'm thinking as my mission here for the moment. Okay, thank you. Okay, uh, I don't think I used the word marginal, but, but I think it's somewhat there in the background. Um, I think we, that's a topic we should return to uh, as well. It sounds very interesting. Uh, does anyone else have any views about what it means to work together when you come from different backgrounds and bring that into philosophy? Vladimir? Um, yes, so I came from Serbia. And the reason why I chose uh, Czech Republic as a place to do my PhD is because the cultures, the cultures are quite similar. And there are many similarities between the mentality that is, uh, that is uh, often shared between Slavic, uh, Slavic countries. On the other hand, I think that Czech Republic offers more on the field of philosophy based on specific uh, research uh, impact and the way in which research can get to other people. Because in Serbia, based on the topic I study, 
that is political theory and ethics, it is really conservative in that regard because many research journals often constitute uh, topics that are really conservative and really out of the out of the cultural impact that it can have on the on the very broad society. And therefore, I believe that Czech Republic offers more freedom in the way that I can constitute my topic. Mm -hmm. What about you, Diana and Annette? You want to say something as well? Diana. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, the, the, one of the, I think, very, very fascinating things for me is that despite uh, coming from different backgrounds and sort of having different interests, we were able to bond together quite well. And the, the differences are never an obstacle. It's kind of more of, of a way that brings us together, that kind of impulse that can be explored, can be talked about. And we are not only colleagues in the, in the sense that we meet at the, at the office and talk. We also became very good friends altogether, which is something I, I was very, very pleased about. And it's something that's, that's really makes the, the whole center a really nice place. Can I, can I reply to that? Or is it like a list going on? No, no, go ahead. Okay, okay. Was Aneta supposed to say? Yeah, something? I just maybe I, I would like to jump in because I have similar thoughts like Diana. Because although we have different backgrounds and different deliberation about things, I think the most important is that we share some certain values. And mm -hmm. it's something which tied us uh, together and doesn't matter if we are from uh, Philippines or from Czech Republic. And this is something I really appreciate here in the center. And also for my topics, as uh, I'm, I'm uh, concerning with the city and urbanism, it's really amazing to share the ideas of the cities all around the world, because I consider this topic as international. So mm -hmm. it's really helpful for me to be part of the center in this way. Yeah, you said share some values. What are those values you share? Yeah. <laughs> <The> morally, <laughs> morally yeah. high values. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe uh, if I'm not cutting off Philip, I can just throw we'll, in real quick. We'll take Philip soon. I will just a uh, quick then, at least a value is just the value of diversity and diverse thinking towards like, yeah, you know, uh, and that for me is really important in creativity, philosophy of creativity. And actually, uh, you you kind of want to encourage space a space where people feel free to, you know, approach different topics and explore different ideas. And and the best place to do that is in an environment where everybody comes from a different place anyway. So they have mm -hmm. they have different aims that kind of converge on something like that. So then maybe that's a, one of the emergent values. Yeah. Now, Philip, what were you gonna say? Yeah. Um, uh, uh, what I wanted to say, I think, uh, has been now. Uh, taken over by this new thing I want to say because I think that's really <laughs> interesting and yeah I think it's it's really interesting I'm wondering um, I mean in a certain sense I can agree or I would agree that this is in a way of value but then yeah I'm wondering um, is it what kind of it's it's an interesting kind of value um, because um, I mean in a, in a certain way I guess I would say that I value highly 
um, if people have their own opinion on things or their stances or viewpoints. And so that when coming together and discussing things, you know, actual perspectives, different perspectives are shared or something like this. So that's something I, um, I, I do value, although I'm always a bit hesitant to use the term, but maybe it's not so important. Um, but, but then in, in a different, uh, you know, uh, on a different note, and I think that connects back to uh, the little discussion uh, David and, uh, and maybe Irem and I had yesterday um, in the Merleau-Ponty uh, seminar uh, that, that, you know, when, when this is overemphasized in a way, or, uh, well, the question is firstly, can this be overemphasized? But, you know, the very fact that many people have different opinions might not always just be something very good. You know, if I would meet up with um, a fascist, a Stalinist, uh, and, you know, a few others, uh, and so on and so forth, and, they, and then it would be this kind of meeting of different opinions um, that would not be something I, I mean, maybe I would also value it in some way, but, but I think it makes a big difference, like who's, and what are the, the attitudes of the ones involved? How do they, and I think that also refers back to our discussion yesterday, how, how do you listen to others or how, you, how do you take what they say into account? And I think that's something that, that's really nice in our center, that yeah. it's like a, a place where, where what the others say is, is really actually taken into account, is listened to, there's an effort to understand the other person. Um, so it's not just many perspectives being there, but also a certain culture, if you want to use that, again, strange word, of, of, of uh, how these perspectives um, encounter each other, something like that. Yeah. And you think that, you know, merely, you know, coming from, from different uh, parts of the world and, and we're basically members from all over the world now and, and doing philosophy in different ways. Do you think that helps, you know, learning to listen to other voices that you're basically, not, you, you don't have just your, as it were, immediate neighbor in philosophy to talk to, but many, many various forms of, of philosophies to talk to. Um, I could just throw in a quick thing, I think, on that. I'll just add uh, to your what you just said, Nicholas, and then with Philip's example, like that, you know, if you gather certain voices into the room, some voices kind of, uh, some of their, maybe their principal motivations are aiming at dissent and, or not dissent, but at um, silence, silencing other voices. So I wouldn't, I would say that diversity is a value in the sense that it's, it represents truly the world as it is, but something like Stalinism or fascism, uh, actually means to control or remove from the world that type of kind of diverse landscape. Yeah. And so I think that there's some kind of transcendent value here, but uh, that doesn't require just letting kind of all, all like voices like in equally or something. Hmm. Shall we pick up on the formulation that Mira brought to the table from the beginning with the, the notion of marginal? I mean, that's an interesting notion in itself. Uh, I think uh, relates directly to this. Um, I mean, and because even though Czech Republic is located at the very center of Europe and part of it is more or less central to Czechia, I think it's far to know that Czech Republic is not known uh, as a philosophical center in the same way as say Cambridge or Oxford is. Um, and even though philosophy that is conducted here partakes in some of the most central and important debates, 
I think that, I mean, if, if, at least if I look at the most senior researchers, that a lot of us think that our work is being placed, as it were, somewhere in the margins of mainstream philosophy too. Um, so what are your thoughts about the relationship between center and marginal here? And, and feel free to reflect upon it, both in geopolitical and philosophical ways. Okay, can I, can I um, have a feedback? Yes, please. That? You touched right, this. like this. Um, one of the issues in Filipino philosophy is the question, what is Filipino philosophy? Mm-hmm. In fact, we don't have an identity. We don't feel we have an identity. And, and it's always attributed to the fact that we're colonized. Yeah. We don't know what we are. But then that had been discussed also in a certain conference in the Philippines where in a certain professor pointed out, you don't exactly articulate on your identity. What you do is that you, you join the sphere, the public sphere, let your, vo- let your voice be heard and let other people determine what your identity is. That is not your business. Your business is to contribute, to participate, and then hopefully you can have some feed there and then other people say who you are, something like that. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess in that sense, that's what I'm doing. I want to go out of my own you know, cradle and then bring myself there and meet people who are basically very different. For one thing, this is a very, very secular country. And I come from a very religious background. Yeah. And my ethics is also very religious. So that's why I've, be, I've been keeping quiet and doing a lot of listening. And I learned a lot. So, so in that sense, I, I hope I, I'll be able to you know, enrich myself. Hopefully, I bring back something to uh, when I go home. A certain thought about, you know, what does it mean to be there? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the very idea of a philosophy belonging to a country is in some sense peculiar, because it seems to me that, I mean, if you look at our group here, it's clearly an international subject. And I take it that a lot of countries have the exper- same experiences as you do, Mira, that, you know, if I was asked what is Swedish philosophy, um, it would be very hard to give a clear answer. Yana, we killed the cart and we rejected Foucault. <laughs> and then, and then uh, there's not much more to say. Uh, and I, I, I know I once spoke to a Greek philosopher and he said that he was, it was very problematic to have this notion of Greek philosophy because Greek philosophy just meant Plato and Socrates. And all the philosophers that are working in Greece today were like, you know, they, it seems like they don't, they're not part of Greek philosophy. Um, do you think about, you know, is it fair to say that, it, I mean, we talked about the values of coming from different places, but, but now it seems to me that we're approaching an angle of philosophy where it's international at root. And, and you think that helps in a way to, to think about philosophy when you come from different cultures in that respect, that, you know, it, it lessens the sense of localities of it, or is it? I would, I would think so, if I may. Yeah. say something um yeah i would think so in that it's in that i feel like there always lies a great danger in restricting one's a sphere of people with whom one discusses and converses philosophically or not to kind of lapse into some kind of mutual you know um just reiterating what one says so there's this kind of sense of you know as long as you as long as you are with people who 
who are very close to you, who are of the same social uh, or geographical group or whatever, that people tend to say or think, express the same things, have the uh, well, maybe not the same, but there's a lot of, you know, um, uh, closeness going on. And so maybe, uh, or I think that it is likely that this then may lead to uh, one's own perspective not being really challenged um, by one that is actually different or that one experiences at re as, as really a different a foreign voice which mm. which which really challenges one's own perspective and um, um, yeah maybe confronts one even with a sense of um, astonishment or surprise or wonder I mean of course these elements are always there in human interaction but uh, when meeting with people who are from really different backgrounds, in this case, coming from different corners of the world. Um, yeah, I think this just happens much more and much easier. Uh, and, and then I think it's even more interesting and striking and, 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 and something wonderful in a way at the center that it still works so well and that, that you know, that it's possible to, uh, you know, yeah, to, to open up in this way to each other and not to, you know, um, confront each other in some kind of dogmatic way. Or this is, you know, this is my way of seeing things. And uh, so, so, there's no, so there's no sense of kind of some kind of cultural relativism involved in a way. So this is, this is how one sees it where I come from. Um, and hence, uh, you know, that must be right. Yeah. This sounds like, uh, I mean, I get to two thoughts immediately in my head. One is that, you know, it's not so much that, you know, being without a center, center doesn't necessarily mean um, being in the margin, but rather that, you know, what, what happens is that we lose the sense of, of center and that there, there is not one, as it were, core one need, one need to listen to or follow to, follow uh, or obey. Um, and then, it, I mean, looking at this group, it seems like we have the antithesis of social media. Uh, you know, and in social media, you're fed with what you see is, is decided by algorithms. So you only see people, after a while, you only see people that say and think the same things that you do. Uh, and here, it's the loss of that algorithm that, you know, opens up the, uh, the view for you. It seems to me that you're saying something like that. Can you say something in regards to earlier questions? Yes, go ahead. Mm -hmm. So I think that being here at center and getting to know other people has actually been really a really good experience because I think each and every one of us here shares the same uh, discourse culture. Let me use that word. And I think that we can all listen and actually hear someone's uh, opinion on something and we can formalize it because there is a specific way of thinking between certain humanistic students and in that regard that we can formalize other other people's opinions we can talk about them without dogmatic following that that we can we can often see somewhere else so are we an antithesis to the social media and media in general, I believe so, yes. Yeah. So, um, 
let's approach the same topic from a slightly different angle. Uh, one of the things we try to do here at the center is to encourage PhD students on the one hand to engage with topics they really think is relevant and really, really important to work one's way through. And on the other hand, to work with these in a way that we call ground up or ground bound rather than top down. So we strike to come a way of doing philosophy that is integral to, where philosophy is integral, integral to, to questions in our lives. Um, how do you think that feeds into your own work and um, to your own view of what philosophy is and how you do it? I think that um, for me, it was actually quite interesting because um, yeah, coming from a um, German academic and philosophical background, um, philosophy was done much more in the abstract. And I, I don't know to which extent I really know what the kind of top down and bottom up really means, but um, probably that would be a form of philosophy that's more than, I guess, top down or, you know, meddling in the abstract or something. Mm -hmm. And so it was really, um, um, it was really a change for me to begin to be able to do philosophy and be encouraged to do philosophy in a more, you know, hands-on, um, you know, down-to-earth kind of way here at the center. Um, and something that, yeah, that was, I mean, it, it almost sounds um, a bit stupid or plain to put it this way, but it just kind of felt really good. It felt very healthy, yeah. you know, as if something uh, was missing before that, you know, some kind of infusion of, of the thoughts with, with, with actual life. And so that was really nice. Um, um, and, and now this uh, started to get into some kind of interesting interplay between this kind of very down-to-earth uh, philosophizing um, about <laughs> everyday matters and, and the abstract. So because, I mean, even when you philosophize about very down-to-earth matters, you often use very abstract and, and you know, broad concepts. Um, so, so there's this tension and that's, um, that's great. And, you know, I'm personally, I'm coming at least, you know, from way back when I was younger, more from art myself, um, you know, a lot of painting and drawing and music. So much less in the abstract, much more in the, in the actual, you know, living of, of one is doing. So coming back to a certain kind of philosophy or doing, starting to do philosophy in a way that's more in, in, in line with that, you know, maybe that's, it almost felt a bit like coming home. In, in some sense. So that's really nice. And I'm happy about this. Hmm. What do you others think? I mean, I, I, one thing I can say that when we um, accept PhD students into our program, one of the things we, I mean, first we look at, you know, the first thing we care about is, is obviously if they're good. Uh, but then we also look quite a lot at, you know, the research topic itself, that it, it should show that this person has a problem that is real and, and that it matters that we solve. And I take it that that's one of the requirements we have. And, and that's, that seems to me to be something that you will share, that you will come here with certain very fairly specific and concrete difficulties that you want to sort out. Um, Vladimir, you want to say something? Uh, so I believe that this is the most productive way of doing philosophy. Uh, and I believe that every philosophy is a result of a social and contextual necessity. 
And by being so, I believe that each and every philosophy has to reason within its cultural constraints. Because when doing philosophy from top down, I see it more of a story. And philosophers often tend to see themselves as outside their cultural and uh, historical background and uh, putting much more weight on their philosophy uh, than they need to. And that philosophy becomes irrelevant as soon as the other contextual uh, society comes. So I believe that doing philosophy from bottom up is not only, not only the most productive way to do philosophy, it also enables us to work with other, uh, other sciences and other humanistic uh, uh, theories and uh, people with uh, different, uh, different views from our own. Mm. I take it that one of the things that, I mean, at least I mean, this is, it's not like we have a program written somewhere and asks everyone to follow it. But one thing I mean when I say top down is that one tends to, it, it's a tendency you see in a lot of philosophy today that you sit down and you think about your theory and then you apply that theory to the world at a second stage, right? You, you know, so the world comes in as an example or an illustration of something already settled. And, and you know, admitting students that really already start within something very concrete that troubles them is a way of, you know, stopping that motion and let the problems speak for themselves. Um, David. I, I think that we are getting closer to more and more universal questions like, like um, how should be philosophy taken? And um, from, from my, let's say, Wittgenstein perspective, I would agree with or philosophy as a kind of therapy and by it I mean like that primarily we need to focus on the problems which uh, in which we are involved uh, in order not to do some pseudo problems or not to invent problems but focus on particular problems which are in front of us and uh, to go to back to the to the to the other question such a problems are always connected with our local perspective. That's obvious. Mm. But philosophy in, in a history in past always strived for a universal answer. And, uh, and such, a, such a focus, such a, such a trying of, of giving a universal answer on no, I, I will say it another way. I mean, like, we need to uh, approach the questions from local perspective, yeah, but still we need to... We, we can't forget on this local perspective, but we always should strive to overcome this local perspective, to get something more general. I mean, what I mean is... And that's what I find uh, interesting and important on uh, this background. I mean, background of Center for Ethics is that there are people who are embedded in more different local perspectives. And when I come here, uh, I tell you something and I need to kind of justify my position and uh, 
that in order to do it, I need to take in account, in account other positions. And from discussing different local points of view, I think we can, we can in a discussion get more more general answers to, to questions which are always in the beginning local, but you know we obviously we don't want to answer the questions just for us. We we, we want to answer the questions with, which are important for us. Let's say kind of for for everybody. We want to give more general answers and. Uh, in order to do so, I think it's it's helpful to to discuss the topics with people who come from different backgrounds and share uh, share the topics with them. But yeah, yeah, that's probably all what I wanted to say. I I just wanted to say that according to my opinion, this bottom up uh, way of thinking about about um about any question is the only possible in philosophy patrick did you uh yeah actually there was a lot i thought during what david just said but um yeah i mean the, the local problem is essentially like something that's deeply personal and, and i remember when i first came here maybe you know maybe really right away uh one of the one of the stresses from the center was kind of an, on how you how you give your examples, um, what kind of examples are you using, and how many times do we rely on like examples that are kind of common throughout, you know, other philosophers as opposed to kind of keeping the ones that are personal to us. And the ones that are personal to us have, you know, a lot more weight, of course, but they also are, they're new problems essentially. And they also may be things that other people can relate to, which, which doesn't rely on us always having to have, you know, reference some, particular piece of literature that several philosophers have now commented on. And it actually made me think back to also what David said, made me think back to what Mira framed kind of at the beginning too, about her having this really, really personal stake in, in coming up with some kind of identity as a, a Filipino philosopher, or just as what is, what is Filipino philosophy in general. Yeah. And that being something that's very important to her. And I, and I actually feel almost the same thing uh, although coming from the USA, where maybe it would be easy to think that there's there's clearly American philosophy, it looks just like this, it sounds like that, but it doesn't actually uh, connect with me at all. And for me, the things that resonate are the ones that are are very very local. And I'm not I'm not actually personally really concerned with you know what these higher institutions or what this kind of history of this particular line of thought that went for 20 or 30 years until it eventually fizzled out. It doesn't it doesn't mean so much to me. So I'm not as passionate about it. But I, anyway, I just I think I think I would be doing something similar, but on an individual personal level, and 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 the people that I work with in the center, my colleagues, all all influence um, and empower me to think kind of that way. Um, I think if I may just uh, jump in very uh, again, Annette, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Struggling for a place. No, it was just like a short contribution because I would like to say that for me, it was really hard to jump in as the person who doesn't have like a strong philosophical roots because before I took my master from film and drama theory and history. Uh, so uh, 
Uh, however, I uh, I try to really first first year was really hard to understand. For example, some senior researcher seminars, and uh, I'm try to uh, focus more than on the plot on the way how the others put the questions and how they reflect and perceive the text. And it helped me a lot uh, with dealing with the, how to deal with the text. And also I bring some really concrete topic as an ethic of yeah. the public space. And after that, I started to make it more like a broaden to, to watch it through the lens of the philosophy. So uh, yeah, I just bring some something really small and I now build up uh, my approach according to it. Philip, you were saying? Uh, yeah, it's more in relation to what Patrick and Mira said. Maybe there's some hidden connection to what Aneta just said, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I found it really interesting um, um, that Patrick picked up on what Mira said, but coming in a way from a different perspective or giving it a different kind of direction that there seemed to be some kind of a concern with uh, American, US American philosophy, but not in the sense that, well, at least not how I, I understood it, not in the sense of you, Patrick, being concerned with you becoming a representative of US American philosophy, but rather um, in the negative sense that you are you don't feel yourself to be at home there. That's nothing that really maybe deeply speaks to you or you don't feel like you belong there in a, in a philosophical sense. So it's more this kind of, you know, seeking your philosophical destiny or something like that elsewhere. And, and uh, that's interesting. I mean, this, so, so one's own country or, or nation or yeah, home may come in, in into one's own motivations for, for philosophizing, not only in, in a kind of positive way, because you are concerned with contributing to your own country's philosophy, but also um, because you don't feel represented there and you don't also want to speak for it as a representative in any way. Um, yeah, so you, you, you seek, uh, I don't know, the intelligent discourse or the meaningful encounters and conversations elsewhere. So I think that's also really important and interesting. Mm -hmm. Mira? Okay, so I'll just uh, uh, do certain bullet points on, on what I learned from this center as I, I'm, I'm doing my research. The first is that I am taught here that the question, the philosophical question is very important because it may be that you're, you're pegging your question in a particular manner, but, but as you go along your research, that is not the real question. The real question is something else. Okay, so when I started my research, my, my question was something like, can, can Levinasian philosophy ultimately reverse anthropocentrism? Something like that. So when I am doing my research, I'm, I'm starting to discover that the anthropocentrism that is discussed in animal ethics discourse is, would be something different from the way Levinas, for example, would, would see anthropocentrism. Okay, mm -hmm. so... so so uh, I will not go at length in this, okay? But the second thing I learned from this, uh, from studying here is that the micro level is very important, most importantly in ethics, because in ethics, we deal with systems and then individual. And, and the micro is still something less than the individual. 
Okay, so for example, in the realm of animal ethics, I learned that that living in the Czech Republic, where people practically you know love their dogs and 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 cats as babies, which is very different from the Philippines. The Philippines, the definition of a dog is bantai. Bantai means guard, and guard means you're always out there in the rain guarding the house. You're 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 practically either a slave or an employee. That is the Philippine scenario. So so here. Uh, I discovered that indeed, as Levina says, the, when the face of the animal is discovered, that is the beginning of animal ethics. You have to, to know and, and, and recognize the animal as having a face. And, and after that, love the face of an animal. And after that, it begins to you know, reverberate to, to other species that after loving this animal, you begin to love you know, many species of animals, something like that. And then the third is when you discuss ethics, you have to, uh, uh, I learned how to look at complexities and appreciate dynamisms, to study them, you know, as, as they happen, and to study them not in simplistic formulas. Okay, that's third. And then the fourth is to face the fear, because I, I think Nicholas always tells us, you know, when, when, for example, you're studying a particular discourse, you have to discover what is their fear. In that fear, there may be some, some kind of an ethical consideration that needs to be voiced out, but is not yet spoken. Something like that. Okay, thank you very much. Nice. Um, I mean, we've talked about philosophy and relevance to society quite broadly. I mean, can, but we're still doing academic philosophy. But so I wanted to ask how you think about your own work. And how does your dissertation projects? How do they have relevance outside academic philosophy? And by outside philosophy, you can also mean, you know, other disciplines. But do you have any reflections about, you know, the isolation of, acad of the academic and, and the aspiration of philosophy to speak, you know, beyond the borders of the departmental uh, borders? Vladimir? Um, yes. So I said earlier that philosophy today can be pretty much used in correlation with other other disciplines and other uh, theoretical theoretical scopes. So, for example, by having that uh, scientific uh, scientific uh, inquiry from other theorists, we can also uh, correlate with their research and um, make our philosophical approach a little bit um, more down to earth in that regard. And by doing so, uh, the philosophy becomes more of a narrative that goes, uh, goes through the society and that goes through their scientific inquiry. And in that regard, I think that philosophy has much more power than being a field on its own. I think that having that cooperation with other uh, people, with other sciences, with other disciplines, philosophy gains much more power than it used to have. Mm. Diana, you're working very cross-disciplinary in a sense because you're bringing in literature into to the discussion all the time. Um, what do you think that you know meeting between disciplines means for you? I'm not really sure if if yeah I I can say something about this because I'm I'm not really sure how to how to imagine the meeting of the disciplines because from how I see it. Like the disciplines are necessarily always intertwined, and I 
I mean, it, it would be hard for me to, to say that now I'm working on philosophy and now I'm working on literature and kind of separate yeah. the, the places. And I, I feel that that kind of connects to the fact that in the center we are working, we are usually working on something that we kind of feel that we want to solve or we want to dive deeply into. And that means that the, the discipline or the disciplines don't really matter. It, it's mm. more like a, like a drive and yeah. Um. No, for, if, if I can continue, it's, it's yeah. uh, from really broad perspective. My, mo my mother works as a doctor and my father is engineer and grandmother is a teacher. And that's really funny when, he, when we have a discussion about what I am actually doing, because for them, the philosophy or the theory of the art are not real because there, are, there is anything visible or some practical out, outputs. But however, I try to connect the theoretical and practical approach in my research and I use a real cases from, from, from my uh, work or from, from my experience to evaluate the thoughts about the town and about the public spaces and ur urbanism. And also I consider necessary to engage philosophy to other disciplines and profession. Um, because we are such a small group of students and we share our ideas uh, and we like not we mostly agree with each other or we, we may complain of course uh, but the more challenging and more important is to share our work with the people from non-academic sphere to spread the knowledge actually and throw throw the knowledge into the real life and also like get inspired by them back so i i, I think the interdisciplinary way of philosophy it's it's really important at at least for me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Patrick. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. I think that, uh, I mean, for me personally, like sometimes, sometimes I really enjoy reading academic philosophy. I don't feel that I'm very good at writing academic philosophy, but I, but I hope that I get better at it. Uh, but when I, when I think of the academic, I think of just something very, very meticulous and kind of strict that, that also maybe even is like theoretical, and, and, and must have some, you know, logical entailment and everything in the, in the sense that, uh, you know, other things that you might read that you read for enjoyment or that's making kind of broad claims. If you're a philosopher, you kind of recognize right away that, you know, well, you can't, someone can't really say this or, you know, uh, that it, it's, too, it's too broad of a claim to make, but it, there needs to be something underneath it. And so I think it's like a push and pull between how deep you actually dig yourself into the academic side and then being able to emerge from that and have something kind of that you want to be able to communicate to the rest of the world. So, for example, if you if you just name any philosopher and you go deep into their work, especially if they've dug themselves really, really deep into some kind of a problem, it gets harder and harder to communicate that problem outside of the context of academic philosophy. So, like, whereas I think that it's of course really really valuable and it's the direction that my life is going like ultimately i want to be able to to uh, emerge from it with uh, a perspective which i can share with people and and that i think is the most important thing for me and i think that i gain a lot from from being pushed to 
think deeper and deeper and to not let simple claims just go on without question, essentially. Uh, but I, but I, but I always wonder, I guess, maybe it's more of a question in the end when I'm saying, I always wonder if, if there's a direction you can go in which it's, you just kind of dig yourself so deep that you, when you emerge, you don't really have something that can be communicated very uh, easily to sort of like what's the outside world. And that's, of course, where we where we really, truly live and share our experiences and everything. So it's always important for me to, to stay close to that if I can. Yeah. I know that both Mira and David wants to say something. I wanted to ask Irem as well. What do you think about this? I mean, Irem has just started here at the center, but concepts like the environment are, are very uh, central to your, your own project. And, and um, do you have any reflections about what, you know, philosophy's relationship to the environment as a whole? Uh, what that means for you and how you know, t- people are touching upon some, something that seems central to you. Yeah, and um, before uh, talking about um, the relation between philosophy and environment, I actually want to kind of make the devil's advocate here because, um, okay, it's of course important that what we're doing in academy, the uh, academical philosophy should somehow speak to the layman. Um, but um, I think um, our task as philosophers is to really immerse ourselves within this very hard texts and discussions and to really go into the detail of uh, the tension of between the, the tension between different points because otherwise, it looks a little bit um, sketchy. Like it's it's not really telling the reader or the audience um, what matters. We cannot really convey what matters if we don't really um, take the analysis very seriously and uh, really do the academic job there. And um, if we do it really good, I think it's easier to explain what we're trying to do. If we cannot explain what we're trying to do in simple words, um, it, it feels as, as, as if we're a little bit acting that we're doing philosophy, but we're not really doing it. But on the other hand, if we make it too easy and we don't really form the connections, it doesn't come to life. It's um, it stays on the paper as just this uh, bullet point of ideas. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, it's, we should really dive deep into academic philosophy in order to do layman philosophy, let's say. And um, another important thing is uh, we're doing ethics and politics as well. Um, and we're always, you know, we have this problem of uh, communicating it to other people and um i i told this before in uh, naomi shaman's uh, session uh that whenever there is uh, some kind of political act- action somewhere uh, some it could be a revolt it could be a very big wave of activism um i think philosophical ideas flourish there um, it's not only ideology, ideological standpoints that's exchanged or just some uh, political conflict that's, um, that's going on, but um, 
people need philosophy in these um, points in their lives and in these points in history. Mm -hmm. And that's when philosophy, especially ethical and political philosophy, really develops and flourishes. And for me, um, why, I, why I'm working on environment is exactly, um, it's, it, it can be situated within this framework because it is a crisis that we all have to face. It's not just happening in one part of the world. It's just happening to all of us. Yeah. And, uh, so, and there is a new consciousness that's, um, that takes uh, the question of environment seriously. And it's a matter of to be or not to be. It's a really ontological question. It's an ontological problem. And that's how we should approach it. That's what I had in my mind when I started um, with this project. Um, I thought maybe there, I, would, I can contribute to the theoretical discussions that uh, the activists on the field are uh, carrying out. Um, and maybe um, I can contribute to uh, ethical position taking that was my main motivation. What connects my project to um, the outside world, let's say. Yeah, we have, we have a, I see hands waving from Mira, David and Philip. Let's take them in that order. Mira was first. Okay. I wanna talk about Naomi Shaman's idea of intelligibility central, wherein she mm -hmm. says that research should, should not be experts opinion, but you have to start at the grassroots to see how the questioning really appears and happens from the point of view of the marginalized peoples, most especially who are at stake with your question or concerning your question. Now, the first thing that, that come, came to me as, as I was reflecting on animal ethics is, is indigenous peoples. Because indigenous peoples have a lot to say really on animals and the environment. And the Philipp Philippines has a lot of these indigenous peoples. But, but, but the challenge for me is precisely that there are two things. One is that you have to know their language. And I don't know their language. That takes time. The second is that not all people can really relate to indigenous peoples. You know, it takes a certain kind of time and training. I cannot exactly say I'm not that person, but I find it ideal. Really. So this will challenge you to go out of the academy, go out of your books and meet those people. And that is not exactly very easy, at least for me. Now, how, could, how do I address that? Uh, uh, I think at, 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 at this point in time, okay, what, what I can start with uh, is confessional stories of people themselves about the way they experience animals. So at least I, I want to start it out from there. But I do believe that that kind of approach, as she describes it, you know, is very important in this, in this era that the disciplines tend to be the experts. And precisely you're moving away from that. As you're moving away from, from, the, from the idea of the university as a building and an academic community of professors and students. It's not that, that the university has, is larger in scope. It really goes back to life itself. Thank you. David, thank you. Thank you, Mira. Of course, we want to have impact outside of academia and uh, we should have impact outside, outside of academia. That's, that's, that's obvious, but um, 
philosophical problems are not empirical problems. They are they are focused with what transcendental sphere. Yeah. And um, in this sense, we we cannot evaluate uh, philosophy in the same way as as natural sciences. Yeah. And what I wanted to say is that we should kind of refuse this type of discourse yeah, to, to evaluate um, philosophy instrumentally yeah? because it, it, it would destroy the topic. I mean, we kind of create the background or heal the background from which the empirical problems can be solved. Yeah. That, that, that would be my perspective. And it's always hard to evaluate that. Uh, and of course, my, my topic is also, it's actually very close to the, to the IRM's topic. It's, it's focused on uh, environmental issues. And uh, I would love to have uh, some impact on, on what's going on, but it's obvious that it wouldn't be the same type of impact as let's say some, some environmentalist could have. I, I, I can't invent uh, something, some, some machine which would, I don't know, take CO2 from, from air or something like that. that. That's not that type of impact. And um, we, we, should, we should have it on mind uh, when we think about practical use of philosophy. Because actually, I wanted to say that even the split for the praxis and theory is not doesn't make so much sense because uh, you know every theory is also praxis. Philosophy is also type of praxis. We we do philosophy. That's something what we do, and uh, we, we we should see it in broader context how we uh, interact with the world outside of academia and uh, because. Probably all of you know that, that if you if you say that you are studying or working in a field of philosophy, everybody asks you what is it for, and yeah, that's there's a question which I think we should uh, mainly refuse because in this sense it doesn't make so much sense. But definitely, philosophy is a discipline which since its very beginning, it's always asking for its own purpose. And it's the only discipline which does it. And that's what I like on it. Well, Philip, you've been waiting for a while now. Yeah, but that's, uh, that's nice because, um, yeah, I think, I think uh, my thought uh, relates to what has been said now. Um, so, um, yeah, I just wanted to add this little thing, very obvious in a way that, uh, I mean, I think that philosophy, as, as David said, is something we do. And yeah, I think one can also emphasize then the we. So we do it um, together. And, and then the question is who constitutes this we? And in this case, at the center, it's, it's us, the, the researchers, the PhD students. So. I mean, objectively speaking, academics, I mean, even if we have an unacademic mindset, we are at the end, we meet as academics yeah. and do it within, uh, even if the, if, the, if the ivory tower in which we move 
wants to be as open as possible, but it's still, you know, we are still, that's the group. But I think, I think that's not, it does not lie in the nature of philosophy to be restricted to that. Um, so I think um, what philosophy can do or does always is, you know, um, look for the uh, interaction, for the conversation and the discussion with others. This can also be others um, who are outside of the academic ivory tower, the activists, politicians, uh, workers, and it should be in a way. Um, and I think, and I think that, that this um, does not, um, definitely not um, mean that we should, you know, f feed it to the, to the uh, worker who cannot conceive of these transcendental ideas, you know, and, and, and simplify matters so that he, he may or she may understand it, so, stupid stuff like that, but just um, look for the conversation and, 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 uh, try to um, engage others in, in starting to think with us, but also with others. So try to get thinking going, reflection going um, as, as this kind of therapeutic means, which of course, I mean, should, it would be kind of sad if only the academics would engage in this kind of therapy. Um, so this reaching out, um, I think is, is, is very important. Um, but at the same time, I also think that as soon as, again, as David said, one um, looks at or treats philosophy instrumentally here, that's also, well, problematic is maybe not the right way of putting it, but maybe that's where philosophy would end. If I would think about how I could use or how I could implement philosophy in society so, as, uh, so that it has the greatest effect on the public or something like that, then this kind of thinking is not philosophical thinking, I think, anymore. But yeah, it's um, it's kind of means ends thinking. It's methodic or strategic thinking or something like this. Maybe even political depends on where you want to put your focus. Um, but uh, but yeah, and I'm and I think maybe doing philosophy at certain points involves going beyond philosophy and thinking how how one should you know, make use of philosophy, but then it's not philosophy itself anymore, I think, which is really this, you know, thinking and reflecting together. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I mean, there's no kind of quintessence here, but, but I think this line of thought relates to many things that have been mentioned before. Yes, it does. Uh, Vladimir, do you have a final point on this? Uh, um, I'm a little bit reluctant to say that philosophy operates outside of the empirical data, or at least that it, or at least that it isn't determined by empirical data that we get from natural sciences. Because by accumulating certain knowledge and accumulating certain findings, it basically gives uh, closure to certain fields of uh, exploration, philosophical exploration, and, and it opens up new fields of philosophical exploration. I think that accumulation of knowledge actually dictates the way in which we can philosophize, so to say. For example, in the last 20 years, the findings in neuroscience and uh, cognitive psychology have influenced epistemology in a really big regard. I mean, epistemology today is not the same as it was 20 years ago because you can't refute certain findings which are, well, there. <laughs> So I believe that the same thing goes for metaphysics or ontology. For example, the fields of uh, quantum physics or 
theory of relativity or even string theory have dictated the way in which we can think about either time, either substance, either everything that is constituting the world around us. So philosophy is often dictated the rules in which it has to theoreticize. And I believe that when I said earlier that philosophy is a product of uh, cultural necessity, it is a product of being able to explain why there are so many particulars around us and give one holistic explanation of it, at least in a specific, uh, specific uh, field. Right. Um, thank you so much. I think we, it's, we're coming to the end here. We need to round up a bit. And we talked a lot about uh, togetherness and what it means to study together uh, for you. Uh, coming from different places, and we talked a little about about how you do philosophy and how you think about philosophy's relationship to other uh, disciplines. Um, now, we've tried to make the Center for Ethics a place where people can meet and get something out of being together. Now, um, but as a matter of fact, this podcast is recording online, and that's due to the pandemic, of course. Um, how do you all think about you know, the, the situation we're in now and, and what does working together mean now in, in this particular setting? I more and more start to realize or start to miss the embodied aspects of, uh, of philosophizing. Yeah. Um, that it really makes a difference, not only in that it's maybe has more of a flow or feels more organic, but that it really influences my thinking a lot when I think with others that they are present because it's not only what they say, but the body language, the presence in the room, all kinds of things. Uh, and they, they are kind of yeah virtualized or, or done away with entirely so that I, I mean, now I just don't see most of the stuff that's going on in your, uh, all of your facial expressions because I just have little thumbnails of you. Um, so all these factors, that's, that's kind of a shame. Um, yeah, at the same time, I'm happy that this technology exists uh, in, these, in these times of social distancing, but still, um, yeah, philosophy is very much uh, something which is, in a way, like the flesh and blood, I guess. Yeah, yeah to current situation, for me to go every Tuesday to Pardubice was kind of like a ritual to meet wow. the people I know, uh, to feel the atmosphere that now we are just like in the online world and you could easily like lost your attention because you can mute yourself and turn your video off and you are still present in the conference but you are still present in your own home with the pajamas and uh, having like a cup of tea so it's this duality is kind of hard for me to deal with. And I'm really looking forward to have a beer with you after the, all the discussion. So yeah, I really miss the contact also because I think it's important part to inspire, inspiring each other in like a real physical contact. Could maybe add, add on that also. Um, yeah, no, I just, yeah, I, I miss it a lot. I actually feel like the relationships are, uh, they kind of grow quickly in like when you're when you're hanging out and you're not in a seminar because in a seminar of course we're uh you know presenting 
our thoughts, trying to kind of make them like really clean and cohesive and make these really good points and participate in the discussion, but it's all in, in a different way. And I, and I feel like the relationships that grow organically, they tend to grow from kind of all the clumsiness that has happens in, in normal social environments. And the environment is like a catalyst to that too. So like where you are, where you're going, like what's for dinner, what did you order? And all those little things that kind of pop up in between discussions, which can be had anywhere that are just like very like human interactions. And, and yeah, I, I definitely miss that because it's just, it's just so much harder to do that in the seminars. I mean, this is probably, this is the closest to hanging out because this is so such a laid back thing where we're, we're not listening to a presenter. We're not engaging in a text specifically. We're just talking to each other. So it's like, it's a chance for kind of growth. And it, I think it's just, it's a lot slower um, when we just meet digitally through the seminar environments. We have hands from um, David and Mira. Should we? I didn't know. I don't know who was first. So, David, would you begin? Okay, I can. Uh, to this topic, I just wanted to say that uh, at the beginning, I, I, I wouldn't guess that it would be uh, so hard for me. I mean, like to begin online yeah? because I, few of you, I. I haven't ever met and it's quite strange to meet for the first time through through monitor you know if, if if we would know each other before then it would be easier and maybe maybe um, more okay but i'm i'm not not used to such a conference it's actually i had like i don't know uh, i i I used Zoom like five times before uh, I, I, I came here. Yeah? So it's very strange for me and I'm not used to it. And it's hard to me to communicate like this. And I'm, I'm, I don't feel home in this IT sphere and so on and so on. And um, yeah, one would guess that in this field, I mean, philosophy, when, when you basically most time what you do is reading and writing. Uh, one, it, it could actually be an advantage to, to be alone somewhere closed in isolation and so on and so on. But uh, it's not like this. Mira. I used to be very biased about internet or relating to people on the internet or even learning through the internet. I'm, I'm so much against it. But right now, I think it works. And I think it teaches me how to be an animal. And what I mean by this is this. I get into conflicts with people when they say certain things and then the whole embodiment is not there to express exactly what he wants to mean. It's different. Eh? It's different when, when they text you and only text is there. Or it's even different when it's visual. And then, you know, there are certain subtleties of the body that are not immediately present which when you are an animal, they're very sensitive to it. So it's, it's that. I, I learned to pay attention to that. And I learned that in, in, in uh, um, Anthony's class when we discussed folks and virtual reality. We're in learning which virtual reality is always having a check on what is, what is present living reality, something that you always have to trace that. Now, I, I, I want to uh, say something about uh, this is De La Salle, University POSA, which is a feeding program for cats. You know, they have an FB. And what is wonderful about the FB, 
you know, I submitted an abstract for this for a conference, is that this FB is only virtual, okay? And yet, you know, what, what students post there is pictures of their favorite cats in the university, and they become your superstars as a way of whiling away the boredom. But then even virtual reality gets its task done. From, from the image, is not real. You know, the, the cats there are anthropomorphized. And yet, because of that, people give donations. Because of that, people find these cats cute and they adopt them. You know, which is what the program is all about. And I find that fascinating. I want to study that, the power of the media, of, of this kind of media, to get the task of ethics done. Now, I don't know the interior, you know, uh, 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 realizations of these people who get to adopt these cats. But, but, you know, there is some power behind it. And that's fascinating. It sure is. I think it's time for us to round up. I want to thank you all for uh, sharing your thoughts. Uh, it's, as always, rewarding and fun. Um, it's been truly a great pleasure. So thank you to you all. And uh, we'll hope to see you share soon in, you know, in one and the same room. Bye. Thank you. Yeah, Bye, guys. Thank you for this idea. Bye. Bye.